your very self as one that will never be taken away. You're with us forever, and we give you praise in this place because of it. Thank you, God, for your good gifts, especially the best of all, your very self in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Very good. We're talking about those barriers in our hearts that are barriers to personal revival, even as we pray for our nation's revival. According to uh, Second Chronicles, is it Second Chronicles or First Chronicles? First Chronicles 7.14? Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... God promises healing, revival, restoration to the land. And so we've been looking specifically week by week at at some of these wicked ways, these natural ways that our hearts grow away from God or in opposition to God. It just seems to be our human nature. Week by week, we've talked about different ones of these, pride, uh, burnout, uh, covetousness this last week. And this morning, that kind of wicked way that can grow in the human heart is especially appropriate for Thanksgiving, and that's this particular weed, ingratitude. Ingratitude. Uh, Billy, Billy Graham is quoted as saying that uh, ingratitude is one of the most vicious sins, and gratitude, one of the greatest Christian virtues. I was named after a gentleman. His name was Hinton, Dr. Sam Hinton. And there's only one thing I know that I can quote him as saying, well, maybe two things, that I can quote him as saying that my parents repeated to me at time and time again and attributed to him. I tried to find out who said it first. I'm sure he wasn't the first to say it. But it's my middle name and his saying, and it was this, that ingratitude is the height of sin. Ingratitude is the height of sin. And if you know his story, it rings even truer. He was a doctor, a very successful doctor. They called him Buttonhole Sam because even in those days, he could extract a swollen appendix through uh, an incision no, longer, no, no bigger than a buttonhole. Incredibly talented surgeon, he and his brother. And they had decided to move from up north, down south, to Georgia, to Decula, Georgia, and there to start a practice of their own. It was the dream of their lives. But before they could build the clinic, Dr. Sam's brother died. I I, I don't know if you know what it is to have one of those kind of deep, deep life disappointments. But it's often the proving of a person's soul. Will they get bitter or will they get better? Will they be resilient, or will they become resentful? And Dr. Hinton was so thankful for what he had in Jesus Christ that even a loss that great didn't sour his soul. And so the hundred or more thousands of dollars, I think it was $170,000 at the time, that they had pooled together to build this clinic, instead, he gave to his local church. And it became Hinton Memorial United Methodist Church, where my dad pastored. 
put my parents through school. What an incredibly generous heart. And it all, it all flowed, I think, from a heart that was obviously and deeply grateful. It's amazing how many things a grateful heart will shield you from in this world. But I'm indebted, and I, I try to remember whose name I bear when it comes to this idea of living with a grateful heart. Winston Churchill is famous for telling a story, a story he narrated of an illustration of ingratitude. He, uh, uh, well, the story went something like this. It was a, uh, a, a, ch- a child who was playing on a pier in London. And as the child played, uh, unbeknownst to the many of adults around him, he fell off the pier into the water. And the child that he was praying, uh, playing with turned in panic and yelled out at the, at the dock workers. Uh, the child who had fallen into the water couldn't swim. And strangely enough, even though they worked on a pier, many of those who were working there couldn't swim as well. But one young man, a Navy guy that was home from the services, turned and ran and without even, without even looking, dove off the end of the pier, spotted the, the child drowning as he hit the water, got him to shore, told his foreman that he was going to have to uh, get the child home. His parents couldn't be found. The foreman gave him some moments off, and he walked the child home. When he got there, there was no one there, so he left a note with his name, explained what had happened to the boy, and, and went back to work. Well, it wasn't long after that that there was a knock at the foreman's door, and uh, a, a mother and a father stood before him and was demanding, how, how can we get in touch with this guy? They showed him the note, showed him the name, and... Uh, he said, well, he, he works for me. He's just down the dock. The foreman knew what had happened. Assumed, they said, well, we have something for him. And uh, he, he said, well, I bet you do. And they, he followed them down the dock. And as he went, others were aware of what had been on that day. So others kind of gathered along. You know, it was going to be one of those Oprah moments, like when they, they bring a serviceman home and he meets his family. You know, no one wants to miss out on one of those moments. And so, so they finally got to the, to the guy who was running his forklift. He got down off of it. And he's, he said, these people uh, have something they want to say to you. And uh, he, he got down, you know, humbly. And I don't know what he was expecting, but it wasn't what he got. He said, you have something for me? And they said, yes, we have a question. You have a question? And they said, yes. Our son was wearing a new cap when he fell into the water. We came for the cap. What did you do with it? We came for the cap. It's an amazing thing, the heights of sin to which ingratitude will, will lead us. And G- Jesus noticed it. And one of his most dramatic uh, responses to an event in the Scriptures, I think, is when the ten lepers came to him. He was himself on his way to Jerusalem to give his life for all mankind. And, and, and as he goes, as he's passing by, These ten lepers, it says from a distance, this is in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, uh, they cry out to him. And as they're going along, that that actually was a picture of those ten lepers. That's what it's called, ten lepers. I think it's by James Christensen. Uh, And if you'll notice there, the lepers, though they walk in rags, also have this strange walking stick with something flowing behind it. 
And I asked someone, I saw this on uh, the wall of a therapist that I respect, and he explained to me that in the, in, the, uh, in the picture that that stick was something that lepers would carry. After a while, they'd get tired of calling out from 50 feet away, unclean, unclean. So they'd just walk with their stick. And people would know to stay away. Can you imagine how painful it must have been to live in quarantine, not with your family, but separated from them? To to have a disease that would progressively diminish you, disfigure you, that to all around you, you were really the walking dead the zombies of the day. Don't you think you'd grow tired of having to proclaim to be known by unclean? So these ten lepers, they they cry out to Jesus. Maybe they had heard of how powerful he was to heal, his compassion for other lepers. So with confidence, they, they cry out to Jesus. And Jesus doesn't touch, him as, touch them as he did other lepers. He simply tells them, as if they're already healed, go show yourself to the priest. The priest was the gatekeeper that would, uh, that would either pronounce someone with leprosy and they go into quarantine. And so you had to go through that same social doorway to get out. And so you'd go back to the priest if you were healed. There were other things that looked like leprosy that sometimes people would, would get over, and, and they would come back. But leprosy was rarely something that was healed. This was, this was incredible news at the time. They had sought Jesus out. Jesus, heal us, and he sends them away to the priest. And on the way to the priest, it says, as they journeyed. Isn't that the way it is with Jesus? He calls us to follow him, and sometimes it's not until we're already on the journey that he's called us to that his healing becomes complete even in our own hearts, that for years we perhaps are the wounded healers, walking in that same grace that we know is real and can be extended to others. But these, these lepers, nine of them apparently went to the priests and immediately went home to tell their families. I, I don't know how to explain it, but only one of the ten. Some people like to say that was 10%. I hope that many people are thankful. But let me ask you this. If no one else is thankful, will you be? If we have a day when no one is showing up for worship, will you still return to him to give thanks? And and Jesus looked at this one and he said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Is only this foreigner the one who comes to give thanks? A Samaritan. Yeah, I, I wonder if because the others may have been Jewish, if they would have thought that they were just entitled to the healing. And there's nothing that kills Gratitude like entitlement. But that's an image of who I want to be and I think who we all want to be. 
We want to be the one that remembers where we would be were it not for Christ. I I don't know if he brought back his stick and laid it at Jesus' feet. That's an embellishment I'd like to imagine. I, I, I hope there was more discussion than we actually see in the Scriptures. And when he came back to Jesus, he said, Hey, Jesus, won't be needing this anymore. No more unclean. You have cleansed me. No more who I used to be. I'm yours forever. So just let that live for us this morning as an image of the rarity and the beauty of gratitude. Uh, It's the image I hope that we'll carry with us. Were none found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? If no one else, will you be the one? Maybe the one when there's no one else that will give thanks to God. The Scriptures actually tell us to be that one. We're commanded on the same level and with the same weight with which Jesus commanded love your neighbor or love God or give to the poor. He also commands, the Scriptures command us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I should say, the Scriptures command us, give thanks in everything. In everything. Is that really possible? To give thanks in everything. Uh, In gratitude, it seems so common. Nine out of ten. But it's such a beautiful and rare virtue. And it's kind of the nature of our heart to be, uh, to have ingratitude. I heard the story of, of a man who was actually uh, vacationing down in Mexico. And they took him out to a place where cold and hot springs flowed side by side. And because they did, it had become a, 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 a rather popular place for the ladies to bring their clothes to to wash them in the steamy hot water, and then to rinse them in the cold. And as, they, as he went with his guide and he explained how that worked and everything, he turned to his guide and he said, Wow, uh, that's so incredible. Uh, I, I bet as I hear these ladies talking, they, they, they must be thankful for the fact that God has laid hot water and cold water ever flowing right here for their use. And his guide listened for a moment to the conversation that was going on amongst the women and he says no senor they grumble because there is no soap they grumble because there is no soap to be thankful in everything we can because of what we've been given in Christ that's so much greater than anything this world has to offer Give me Jesus, we will sing. Give me Jesus. If we choose gratitude, we will befuddle Satan, first of all, if we choose gratitude. Imagine what it would have been like. You know, some people have identified ingratitude as the real sin of the original sin, the sin of the garden. You think about that? Adam and Eve, the serpent comes up to Eve and says, Hey, Eve, I've got this one kind of fruit over here, this one fruit from this one tree. And uh, if you'll eat it, you'll be like God. Now, now, what if in that moment, instead of going along with the plan, 
Eve's heart was full of gratitude. You can be like God. Shouldn't you be like God? Aren't you entitled to all this? She, she, she bought that, but what, what if she had chosen differently? What if she had chosen to be grateful? Couldn't the story have gone something like that? You're kidding me. You think I would begrudge the one fruit that I can't have for the rest of this? Hey, Satan, come take a tour with me. Let's walk by the strawberries and the blueberries and the fruit trees. Let me show you all that God has given me. All that God has given me and, and, and I would be enticed by that one fruit. I wonder if the world would be different if Eve had, Eve had a heart full of gratitude. And I, I wonder how much our lives would be different. If, if our hearts were filled with gratitude, it reminds me of a story of a man who had a dream. And, and in his dream, he, he was before a barn, and the doors opened to the barn, and somehow he knew that it was Satan's barn. But his curiosity got the best of them. What would Satan have in his barn? And he walks into the barn, and as he walks in, he sees just piles, heaps of seed all throughout the, this barn. And he wonders, what kind of seed could be so precious to Satan? And then all of a sudden, he realizes he's in the presence of Satan. And he turns and he asks him, what kind of seed is this? And he says, it's the seeds of disappointment. Why do you have so many of these? Well, because they grow almost everywhere. Really, so, so where don't they grow? Only in a grateful heart. Only in a grateful heart. Seeds of disappointment can't sprout there. They don't seem to be able to take root. They couldn't in Dr. Hinton. But perhaps we are cheating ourselves. But we'll certainly befuddle the plans of Satan if we also uh, choose gratitude. Not only will we befuddle Satan, we'll resemble Jesus. I'm amazed at the way Jesus walked through life without... Can, can you imagine? Uh, you're tired, you're weary, you and your disciples are on your way for a little retreat, a little R&R, &R, uh, a little time to recover from all the ways you've been pouring yourselves out, and all of a sudden, 5,000 hungry people find you. But Jesus didn't grumble. What did he do? He gave thanks. He gave thanks to God when he had little more than a lunch to satisfy one lad, right? He gives thanks. I would have been grumbling, I have no soap. That's what the disciples did. Where, where are we going to find food for all these folks? But, but Jesus gives thanks first and then the food multiplies to feed 5,000. A thankful heart, I think, is a, a heart like Jesus. And if God is in all of our lives, as it says in Romans 8, isn't it 28? Maybe it's 26. Romans 8, 28, that in all things God is working together for the good of those who are called, who love him and who are called according to his purpose. In all things, God's at work. I think grateful hearts give us eyes to see him at work. If you go to uh, 
Enterprise, Alabama, still today, there's a monument in, in that town square, I understand, uh, to the bow weevil. Now, now, most of us have lived years far after the bow weevil, but in 1895, the bow weevil wiped out corn, uh, corn uh, not corn, cotton fields. Uh, there's even songs written about the bow weevil from that era. And, uh, but in Enterprise, Alabama, they have raised a monument of thankfulness of the citizenship of that particular town for the bow weevil. Because if the bow weevil hadn't come, they in their desperation would have never, uh, never discovered the cash crop, which has bountifully multiplied many times, giving them far more wealth in Enterprise, Alabama, than cotton ever would or could. And that was the peanut industry. So now this peanut town can give thanks even for the bow weevil. I wonder how many of us have bow weevils. God could turn into some peanut glory. Uh, some lemons that we could give God to, to make lemonade in our lives. How thankful we might become even for the lemons. That was the kind of heart Jesus had for the joy set before him. He endured even the cross. Not only would we befuddle Satan and resemble Jesus, we would be exceptional. One in ten only. Be exceptional. Why not stand out? Why not give your God some glory and some happiness? Be exceptional. Not only that, but you would escape self-pity. I don't know about you, but self-pity is about my worst mood. It's a pit, isn't it? No wonder they call it pit-y. Self-pity. That's hard to take hold in a serving heart, in a, a heart that's full of gratitude and motivated by gratitude. But I, I've often observed through the years that sometimes I'm not motivated or serving out of a heart of gratitude. I'm serving out of a heart of expectation. Well, if I serve you, then I'm entitled to get this in return. I remember a little lady in my first church. They were new to the church. They were kind of new Christians. And she saw everything that the body of Christ was doing for one another, and she wanted to get in on that. And she said, Pastor, all I can do is sew. Is there anything I can do with my sewing gift? And I said, well, you see these, these dingy curtains on these windows in the back? And, and she said, yes. And I said, we've been wanting to change those, but we just never had the budget for it. Do you think maybe? And so she made these beautiful curtains for all the back windows of the little parlor there in the church. And uh, she seemed so excited, so happy about it. And, and then she, after a month or so, stopped coming to church. And I, I called on her, and she wouldn't tell me what it was about. But I could tell she thought she was entitled to some soap. And so I went by, and she explained to me that after she had spent all that time on those curtains, no one in the church had thanked her. No one in the church had thanked her. And, and so her service now had become something that left her in a pit of resentment and self-pity. Do you understand how gratitude frees you up from that dead end? If she had made those curtains not out of what she hoped to receive of recognition or uh, 
reward in return. But if she had had a servant heart, and isn't that what Paul called himself? I, apostle, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know the difference between slaves and sons? Slaves have no expectations. Oftentimes, a, a doulos, a, a, a bond servant, a bond slave, was one that out of their own love of their master, even after the period of their slavery or their debt was paid off, nevertheless committed themselves to serve him all the days of their lives because they were thankful for him, because they loved him. That's the term Paul uses. I'm a slave to Jesus Christ. I serve him with such gratitude, I don't need anything in return. How that frees up the heart of a servant to live and to serve from. Not, not a heart that, that needs recognition. All of us enjoy that. All of us appreciate that. But to be freed up by gratitude, what an incredible uh, servant with no strings attached that becomes. We, we will escape self-pity. We will gush to give. Gush to give in 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, Paul, last week, we talked about them, the Macedonians. And this poor little church, uh, they'd been inspired by the Corinthians and their promise of giving to the need of the saints in Jerusalem. And Paul came over to Macedonia, started some churches there, happened to mention what the Corinthians had in mind, and the Macedonians got so worked up about it, they wanted to do something for the mother church that had sent the gospel to them, that had given them the greatest treasure of their life, Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul said he didn't want to take up an offering, it sounds like, because they, they were so poor. This would be like the, those mission churches that we serve in Nepal or those mission services, churches that we've served in, in Belize. It would be like they taking up a sacrificial gift to match ours. It just seemed backwards and upside down. But Paul said that out of their great affliction and their deep poverty, flowed a wealth of generosity. Do the math on that. How is that possible? From, from deep poverty and great affliction for overwhelming generosity and liberality, a wealth of liberality to be expressed. Well, they must have been given sacrificially. They, they must have been giving, like the widows might, all that they had, right? I don't know if it was a gift comparable to Corinth's or not, but the spirit of the heart was one of absolute gratitude. In fact, the Scripture says that not only did they give this offering, Paul says they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us. There's a clue. They did this because they belonged to Him. It wasn't even necessarily about what the gift was going to do, though that was great. It would relieve the suffering of the saints in Jerusalem that were suffering a famine or about to, right? That was great. But for them, it seems that it was something between them and their Lord. It was just a way that they could express their gratitude to join this offering that Paul was taking up to bless the church, the home church back in Jerusalem. And it says that there of them that they were, Paul says, he, he puts it in these words, with much entreaty, begging. They, they were begging to participate in the offering for the saints. I, I, I haven't seen that often, have you? Someone begging to give? 
But I tell you this, if I ever saw someone with a heart like that begging to give, (laughs) I'd want to know what's up. What kind of witness is that? That your life just overflows in generosity because you've been given more than you could ever receive in Jesus Christ. Cleansing for now. An inheritance to come. All the riches that are in Christ Jesus belong to you. The father said to the prodigal, all I have is yours. Wow. Be exceptional then. Escape self-pity. Gush to give. Bless your father. Speaking of uh, the, the prodigal sons, I think there was more than one in that story. The prodigal sons. Do you remember uh, how Jesus tells the story? He's telling it to explain his own behavior, why he seeks out those who are broken and sinful. Uh, He's trying to help the Pharisees understand why he is in that far country, reaching out to them. It's always been the heart of the Father. We'll be talking about that this whole Christmas series, how the inside gets out, right? Right? this heart for those that are still beyond uh, God's embrace. I'm so far off my notes, I can't even find it. <laughs> Imagine this father. He first has a son who was so so ungrateful and so entitled that he imagines it legitimate to go to his father and almost say, hey, Dad, I wish you were dead because I'd really love the inheritance now. And he takes his inheritance and he goes off to a far country and he spends it and he's empty and he realizes the only place of kindness that he can remember is dad and he turns and he goes home. But then as he goes home, this father receives them. He, 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 he embraces him. He puts on him the ring and the, the cloak and all that that symbolizes. And then the other son comes in from the field. Another son who... His relationship with his father seemed to be based upon entitlement because he says, he complains that he has no soap. He says, he says Father, I, I have worked and slaved for you all these years, and yet you've never celebrated over me with a, with a fatted calf and invited all my friends. And what does he say? Son, it was right that we do this thing because your, your brother, who, who was as if dead, is, is, is now come alive. We, we have to celebrate. And isn't it true that all I have is yours? But this poor son had such a heart of ingratitude that not only did he forget how much he'd been given, all those gifts, He seems to have completely forgotten the giver. And that's what ingratitude does. It blinds us to the giver. It blinds us to the fact that every moment of every day is a moment spent with our Father. And that for all He could bless us with, 
Still, the greatest of the possible gifts is, is not the golden egg. It's the goose that lays it. It's, it's, it's God himself, right? Paul gets to the end of this passage in 2 Corinthians, and he's, he's been talking about all the benefits of giving and giving with a hilarious heart and giving from gratitude, and finally just seems to explode in the last verse. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. <laughs> and what gift is that? It's got to be God himself. It's got to be having such a Savior and having such a Lord and having such a God. What a blessing it must be. And I don't know of anything, as a pastor, some of the deepest wounds I've ever seen, tell, tell me if you don't know this is true, some of the deepest wounds you'll ever see is in the heart of a parent who has an ingrateful child. The heart of a parent who has an ungrateful child. Why is that? Why is that? It's because in all the things that you were trying to give them through the years, you were giving them yourself. You were giving them your heart. I've heard parents say, but I've given them all I have. And yet they're ungrateful. The, 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 the deep insult of ingratitude is not only that it takes the gifts as entitlements, but that it completely forgets the giver. Isn't that the big wound? So imagine how God feels who has given us everything. All good gifts come down from the Father above. All good gifts. He's given us everything. Yet it takes thanksgiving to, to jog my ungrateful heart back towards gratefulness. God, forgive me. God, I love you too much for, for that to be my story. Lord Jesus, deal with this ingratitude in my own heart. Remind me. Remind me. But it's true, I think. When out of gratitude we give to God or we make a pledge, we then become people with eyes open. We're sensitive to Him being in our world and responding to His promises. And we see God interacting with us in ways that others that are not actively engaged in that relationship tend to miss. Henry Ward Beecher says, It's like... It's like uh, Though you know that there are grains of iron in, in a pile of sand, you, you can run your hand through that pile of sand and, and not detect any of that iron. But he says you can take the same, same pile of sand, same experiences in life, and you can take a magnet and run it through the sand and come up with all kinds of little specks of iron. And, and, and Henry Ward Beecher said that our hearts are like that. When our hearts are filled with gratitude, it makes our hearts almost magnetic. <laughs> but let the thankful heart sweep through the day as, uh, and, and as it finds the iron, so it will find in each hour in each day, in each moment, some heavenly blessing. Only the iron in God's sand is gold. 
Thank you, Lord, for the bow weevils even. Gratitude keeps you aware of the giver. And if you're living life aware of the giver, man, you're that much more in touch with how rich life can truly be. I read a story from a pastor, Rittenhouse. Seems, seems he was on vacation, and uh, as he was passing another, the other cars on the other side of the highway, you remember those station wagons where we used to put our, put our bags up above on the luggage rack? I guess some cars still have those. Mostly they're just, you know, accessories now for looking cool. But we actually used them back when I was a kid. And as, as they passed on the highway, a suitcase tumbled off the car. You remember when that would happen sometimes? When one would catch the wind and it'd just blow right off the top and, and the, the, the suitcase hit, hit and fell off and kind of burst open a little bit and the car just kept on going, you know? Some drivers are more aware than others. I, I remember when, when uh, my dad would get in my mom's car, he always kind of took note of everything that was going on. One time we went down the road and our station wagon the, the rack on the top was actually loose. And so as he went down the street, it went blam, 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 blam on the top of the car. And my dad was totally alarmed. He said, Nancy, what on earth is that? And she said, well, I don't know, Jimmy, but it's been doing a month. It can't be serious. <laughs> you know, some people are more aware as drivers than others, you know, but the, 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 the suitcase blew off the back. And he went back and picked it up, and sure enough, when he got home and he went through it, he found one, one identifying piece of, uh, of stuff in the luggage, and it was a gold coin, a, 20, a 20 $20 gold piece. And on the back of it was an inscription, uh, in thankfulness uh, and remembering this day your retirement from the uh, uh, Portland Cement Company. So he did a little research and called the Portland Cement Company and found out eventually who it was, whose suitcase that he had. And he wrote him and told him that he would be happy to reunite him with, with the contents and told him how he found him through that little coin. And letters came back as they were organizing this, this meeting that that was his most treasured possession. Thank you so much for having the heart to get that. That gold coin just means the world to me. It's my most treasured possession. He said it so many times in the communications that Pastor Rittenhouse decided when he sent in the final details of where they would meet and how they would get together that he had to tell him about the greatest treasure in his life, which was Jesus. And finally, he just said, well, you know, don't even bother with everything else that's in the suitcase. You can throw all that away. Just, just send me that gold coin. And when he sent that coin, the pastor included that letter. He was surprised by the gift he got back from him. His name was Samson, Otis Samson. Otis sent him back a little package for the next Christmas. And when he opened it up, guess what? The, the gold coin was inside. He said, Pastor Rittenhouse on the letter, Pastor Rittenhouse, I thank you so much, not only for your heart to give me back my gold coin, but for sharing your treasure with me. I'm 74, and my wife is 72, and no one had ever shared Jesus with us before. But now I want you to know 
He's our greatest treasure. And I wanted you to have the gold coin. But we come this morning to bring our pledge cards out of a grateful heart just to express that gratitude to our Father. We do it because we know of the great good that it will do uh, for others as it's extended through the ministries of the church. But it's really just one more way to acknowledge who is the greatest treasure in our lives. And for us, that's Jesus. And so this morning as uh, we sing a song and we free you up to come from wherever you are to put your pledge cards in the uh, canister here, uh, we'll receive those, those gladly this morning. I hope you come with a grateful heart. I hope you come not only sensing that you're supporting your church and its ministries, but that you're saying thanks to the one who cleansed you. And aren't we like those lepers? Didn't we have a progressive, deadly, disfiguring disease? Wasn't our sin something that we could not disentangle ourselves from? Until our heart found something that we love more. Until our hearts found Jesus. As a reminder of all that he saved you from and all that he saved you for, we invite you to come forward this morning and express your grateful heart. God bless you as you come.